As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to, to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to the latest edition of 4-6 to six with A and B. I am again uh, uh, far uh, away, abroad from you, Bill. How are you doing without me? Is it Does it feel normal when I'm gone? It, it, you know, there's less there's less tension in the room. You, know, like you, and I, you and I, it got a little heated last time, but so uh, I think it's good that we're separate for this. It's because me and you look at everything in life differently, <laughs> yeah. and then when I say something, you come at me with that tone, and then it triggers me, and I'm not mad about the conversation. I'm mad about the tone. All right. I'll watch my tone on this one. You can't, you, you, can't, you can't help yourself, but I'm actually in Charlotte, North Carolina, in John Hayes, our producer's office, and it's awesome. Glass windows and everything. It's like a, a rented office that he has so he doesn't work from home, and I think we should split one when I get back. As long as you pay for it, I'm good with that. Yeah, when, yeah, I'll, I'll pay uh, 10%. You get the rest. Um, <laughs> Can we hang up? Uh, are there any Philadelphia posters on the wall? <laughs> All, only Philly posters. That's yeah, the perk okay. of paying the rent. Great. Um, but spring practice has gotten under the underway this week. Um, I'm 
on the road doing some recruiting stuff, and Bill has been at the practices. And obviously the biggest story of the week so far is Master Teague being ruled um, unavailable for the remainder of spring. And given what we know about Ohio State's running back situation heading into spring and, and what it might be next year, um, that's pretty significant news, Bill. So what did you see when you were there? I didn't see him actually get hurt. Uh, I, I must have just been looking in the other direction. I don't believe it was during one of the team periods. Um, but apparently he got helped off the field. I didn't see what happened. Uh, you know, it's, it's always hard with this stuff because Ohio State won't confirm like injury-specific. So you, you hear things like lower leg. You hear things like Achilles, which obviously makes it sound a little worse. But then you also don't know the severity of anything. So we don't really know how long Master Teague is going to be out other than knowing that he's out for the spring. So I guess we're theorizing on this a little bit because we don't know the specifics, but if, it seems to me like there there are there are multiple layers to this. And it's like if he's just out for the spring and he'll be back for the summer, then I think Ohio State's okay. If he is out for a couple weeks going into the 2020 season, which we've seen before with guys like Tough Borland and Justin Hilliard, who had Achilles injuries in the spring and managed to get back on the field in some capacity that following season, or if he's out for the year, and that's obviously the dire situation. So I don't, maybe we should explore those three things and, and figure out what we think Ohio State might have to do, sort of in all of them. And I, I mean, we, I guess we start with the most severe one, right? If, if he's out for the year, if they know he's out for the year, and this is again speculative because we don't know, they do they have to go into the portal, right? Or they have, have to give a really hard look if he's not going to play next year. Yeah, I um, the Achilles thing is interesting, and again, all speculation. But like, I don't understand how uh, some Ohio State players, like Justin Hilliard and you know Tough Borland, as we mentioned, returned after missing spring, and then we're back, and then like Kevin Durant, the most high-profile athlete maybe on earth, is out for more than twelve months. So like, it's all about severity. And the one thing I will say is that. When you hear somebody's unavailable for the entire spring, and that's the that's the first take off of the injury, like to me, I was like, oh wow, that that's serious, because sometimes it's you know week to week, or you know he's gonna he's gonna miss some time, but just to come out and blanketly say he's done for the spring, I think is an indication that this might not be as uh, one of these things where you're you're the, through the injury in a month, um, especially considering now with spring break and everything that the spring practice for Ohio State still like what? It goes like six weeks? Six weeks total. Um, you know, that's a long time to be out. Um, and considering the Ohio State situation, at running back, this was a really critical spring for development. Um, so if even if he, in best case scenario, is ready to partake in summer workouts and is ready to go, like I, I don't know like if he's going to be ready to be the number one running back. I, I thought that they should have gone into the portal before this happened, and now I think it's like like there's no choice. And I get that like the portal only has what it has, and you're sometimes at the mercy of like what happens to be available. And I don't think a Justin Fields running back is going to fall out of the sky, but I thought that they needed one before this happened. I I was not totally on that train. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have done that. Uh, the thing about the portal is. If you look at the options, there there aren't. You need somebody who's going to play right away, obviously, and you can't bank on on getting a waiver. Um, and if you look at the grad transfer options, you're just like there's nothing that jumps out. And and that picture will change. And the other thing that might change is that this this NCAA le- legislation that could be passed, you know, sometime this spring or, or this summer that would allow players a one time transfer exception. Like if that happens and it's known that Ohio State needs a running back, like look out. <laughs> 
because there's going to be yeah, like, I, like, I'm a hundred running like, backs lining up trying to come to Columbus. And like, when do you can transfer if that passes in the summer? You transfer for the fall semester, and then you're ready to go immediately. Is that how that would work? Yeah, it's a one. It's one time transfer exception. I think. Yeah, you could transfer. I mean, you have to be yeah. in good academic standing, but you transfer after the after the spring semester, and then you're here in June. And you're ready to go. And you're ready to go. And I mean, like, I don't so know. Just go look at the top twenty leading rushers from last year and pick one. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it totally it totally changes. It's it's it's. We don't know if it's going to happen, but if it happens, my goodness, that's I mean, that's a total game changer for Ohio. It's a t- total game changer for everyone, and like there'll be a million comments written about that. But Ohio State specifically, the Buckeyes need a running back. I mean, like every yeah, that's every top thirty rusher in the country who's not on the team who's going to make the, who has a chance to make the playoff, like will put their name in the portal to see if Ohio State comes sniffing around. And that that becomes an interesting discussion about recruiting because when you're a high profile program, you already get what you want for the most part when you're when you're recruiting high school talent but it's like if and when that happens bill like ohio state will never exit the spring without being able to pick and choose potentially a position of need because everybody wants to play at ohio state when they when they're needed you know it's like if ohio state's quarterback gets injured or they don't have a quarterback or they don't have a running back or any high profile position or shit any position and people are reading about that and seeing it and it's like because people like us great reporters like report their needs um. Yeah, I did that. Um, I, I I think that they. Why would they ever be short ever again, unless it happens in the middle of the season? Yeah, that's the only way if it were to happen in the middle of the season. But it's also it's not a. You know, I don't know if if uh, if Marcus Crowley. The other part of this is Marcus Crowley is also not healthy for the spring, and he was dressed at practice. The last time we saw him, he had like a monster brace on his arm. Um. But on Monday, the first spring practice, he was dressed like everybody else was, and but just like doing stuff off on the side, and like didn't look totally, didn't look all that limited. But obviously, isn't part of practice and is quote unavailable for the spring, just like Master Teague is now. Maybe if Marcus Crowley were healthy and got a lot of work this spring, and like just came out of spring and was like, hey, he's we, like we feel comfortable with him being the guy, then you wouldn't feel the impetus to go into the portal like you're talking about. But it does give you the option if this if this rule change happens, and I you know it seems like it has momentum. Um, you're right. Look, Ohio, Ohio State's never going to be hurting to find somebody. Um, you know, ideally they'd recruit well enough that it wouldn't matter anyway. But if for some reason they end up in to a get them out of a jam, though, right now this is a somebody. jam. Yeah, they 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 should never really be in a jam ever. None of the top yeah, programs. Well, then how, and I think that the reason why Ohio State's in a jam right now is because of a failure in the twenty uh, twenty class to sign the running backs they got. You know, and stuff happens sometimes, but. It just like made me think too. It's like why didn't they go harder after Jameer Gibbs? Like if like Ryan Day said on Monday, um, when you guys went there for um, the beginning of spring, that Ohio State would be what was the phrase he used the danger zone or something? What did he say? No, he said. So I asked him about at the time I asked it. I was of the mind that they had two scholarship running backs healthy for the spring, and it was right after practice, so they really only had one. It was Steel Chambers, and I said like, how do you work through this? And he said. Uh, he said, we're going to get Marcus back before the season starts, and then we have Mayan Williams coming in. Once we get to the summer, we'll be whole. But, yeah, we're one injury away from a little bit of a crisis right now. But in the end, when it comes September, we're going to be okay. Is crisis and danger zone, are those synonyms? Or is one more dramatic than other? No, they're probably, yeah, I would say they're synonyms. Which one would you more rather avoid, the danger zone or a crisis? I would, I would have liked to avoid both of them equally. 
<laughs> okay, so the synonyms. Um, but it just makes me wonder, like, why the hell they didn't get Gibbs on campus when they could. Well, I mean, like, they, I weren't, they weren't anticipating that Metro Teague was going to get hurt on the first day of spring practice. I know, but you can't be... If you, if you need... If you're one injury away from crisis, then you, you, need, you need somebody else. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic way of putting it. Um, I think it's a little and, hyperbolic. You know, I think it's a little hyperbolic in the spring. Like it's, They're not in a great spot right now because they have one healthy scholarship running back. And I guess, too, because I would imagine the next time we see practice, Demario McCall will be with the running backs exclusively. But I don't really know if you can ever be in crisis mode in March. Um if Master Teague's not available for the season and they don't have another running back available via transfer, then I think you're this would be crisis if they were if they had a game on Saturday. Yeah, I just don't like. I don't like. I, it's not great. I'm not trying to, to undersell it. It's not great um, for a lot of reasons. I think it's, it's pretty bad crisis. though, Bill. It's March for like man. the. It's March no, 4th. I know, but like, in the, but like, I didn't even like really overreact last year when they only had, um, what was it, 14 offensive linemen. Then they had 12 Last, or 11. Or 12 11. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, 11. And, like, that was like, okay, whatever. They're going to get their depth in and they'll be fine in the fall. This feels different because it's like no matter what, unless – I mean, this is Ohio State and things just always seem to fall into place for them. But um, unless that transfer rule happens <laughs> – I like when you ironically say it like that. Do it again. <laughs> no, I guess you can't. Um but unless this transfer rule goes through and people are able to do it in the fall for the fall semester, whoever starting, if Master Teague is seriously injured and it misses the season, is not going to be up to Ohio State standard. Now, maybe Mayan Williams will come out as a true freshman and, and run the ball the way that, you know, Mike Weber did when he was early in his career. And, you know, maybe somebody will step up that maybe Steel Chambers will be amazing. I don't know. We haven't seen much of these guys. Maybe Crowley can do it. But... It seems like whoever is starting at running back at Ohio State, and this might be an interesting story without, uh, maybe we can't write it, but what would be the biggest liability in Ohio State's starting lineup during the Urban Meyer era? And I think that this would be, you know, without any changes, I think this right now as I'm looking at it would be in that list. Ooh. I had to think about that. Pittsburgh Brown from 2012. And I don't want to, like, go out yeah, making fun of people right, right. now, but there, there are, um, there were, there were, Holes in Ohio State's lineup in the early part of Urban Meyer's tenure, and then as they recruited the way that they did over time, those obviously dissipated. Um, so, like, this is like, I guess, crisis isn't the word we'll use, but it is borderline crisis if they can't figure it out. Now, what I think is interesting is this transfer rule. Well, if let me, before, go, you, before you go to the transfer thing, let me ask you a question. Sure. With Justin Fields coming back, with all these receiver talent they have, with the offensive line, which might be the best offensive line in the country, how good do you have to be individually at running back for you to be, think Ohio State can win a national championship? I mean, I don't think they have to have Walter Payton back there. But, like, listen, you and I hadn't seen I die um, with running back um, during the J.K. Dobbins era because you felt that he was one of the better ones that Ohio State's had, and I thought there was some some – room for um, imagination in terms of what else could be. And then I turned out to be wrong, right? Like, J.K. Dobbins at the end of the year, like, they wouldn't have won games maybe that they won if he didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And, like, they maybe wouldn't have lost the Clemson game had he not been hurt. And, like, I don't care how good Ohio State's quarterback and receivers are. Like, you're going to be on the field with a team eventually. 
even if it's not in the regular season. But, like, if you're going to be on the field eventually with a team that you're going to need to move the ball on the ground against. So, like, to me, I think Ohio State can win the Big Ten and make the playoff with a shitty running back or a liability at running back. Um, and that's not an implication of anybody on the roster. I'm just saying, in general, like, if, you, if you're not, you know, in, in terms of what you said for the question, Ohio State could get by with, with a liability at that position um, in most years, not just this year. But I think if they're playing Clemson in the first round of the playoff, they can. So what's the what's the discussion at Ohio State every year? Can they win a national championship? And when we did the defensive preview, we discussed is a secondary good enough to win a national championship. Um, can Ohio State get to that, that level? Absolutely. I don't know if they can win one without a guy who can turn a three-yard gain into a six-yard gain in the fourth quarter. I mean, man... At the end of that Clemson game, they could have stocked it away if they could have gotten another first down with the running back, and they couldn't do it. I mean, it just it's it's a huge deal to me. I think. I, I don't I don't disagree. Um, I just don't. I yeah, and maybe I'm putting a little too much on on what I think this this passing game will will become. Like I think you know Justin Fields. I think like at worst is the second best quarterback in the country, and then there's a there's a pretty nice drop off behind him and Trevor Lawrence. You have a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback. You have really explosive athletic receivers, and you have like what I think will end up being the best offensive line in the country. I think you can get by with not being super dynamic at running back, um, especially getting through against the, the best teams. I mean, I don't want to do the thing where like look at like where you pick one thing and hold it up as as uh, as the rule, and when it's probably the exception. But LSU and Clemson. Um, did not have, in my opinion, at least when they were coming out of high school, like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and and Travis Etienne were not otherworldly prospects coming out of high school. They were really good players who I think fit the scheme with the, that they were doing well and ended up being productive players, and Etienne will be one of the, the top running backs in the country next year. Um, I think Master Teague, if he's healthy, and Marcus Crowley, we assume will be healthy, like kind of compares favorably to guys like that. And if you have the guys up front to get the job done, then I think you'll be okay as long as you can throw the ball too. If you had a very limited passing game, I'd feel differently about it. But I don't expect that they will because they haven't had that since Ryan Day's been here. And this is the best collection, perhaps, of quarterback and, and receiver that they've had in that time. And I also wonder, too, like now that Ohio State actually has some real uh, Ohio State caliber depth at quarterback, if Justin Fields is going to run the ball more himself. You know, and I think that's always going to be is Justin Fields going to run the ball more would be a discussion point in any offseason, no matter what's happening with the personnel around him. But, like, they might need it more this year. Um, but to go to the transfer thing now, Bill, um, and it's an interesting discussion, but, like, I just, like, pulled up a, a story that was written in January from somebody. It says, projecting college football's top ten running back superstars in 2020. And, like, I'm just trying to think. Like, a guy like... Um, Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota, right? Or a guy like uh, Journey Brown at Penn State. There's some pretty talented running backs um, in the conference, but there's a, a a guy on this list named Jarrett Patterson of Buffalo. And if you're a college fantasy player, you probably know who he is, but he puts up some monster numbers, and he was like a pretty big battering ram at 5'9", 195-pound, 5.8 average. And it's like that's the kind of guy that Ohio State could potentially get if the rule changes. And this is complete speculation, but would you rather be the starting running back at Memphis or Buffalo or even, <laughs> hate to say it, Minnesota? Or if you see that you could be the starting running back at Ohio State, 
Like Jarrett Patterson, for as good of a player as he is at Buffalo, won't come close to scratching the surface of fame um, and potentially um, money that he would get as a result of it playing at Ohio State. So if that rule changes, I think it's going to completely blow the top off of the transfer rule because I think people will transfer for better opportunities even if they wouldn't have transferred otherwise. I agree with that for the most part. I mean, there's always stuff about, and, and I guess it depends on what your standing is on your team. Like this, Jared, take this Jared Patterson kid for example. I'm just using him as an example. Uh, Ohio State. It's known that Ohio State is in the market for a starting running back. Like, does a guy like Jared Patterson have the clout at Buffalo to say, like, listen, I'm putting my name in the portal because I want to see if I can get this shot at Ohio State, and if I don't get it, I'm going to come back to Buffalo. And Buffalo is like, okay, sounds great, man. Like, are there guys who are good enough that they have that would just they would have that kind of power to hold over the program they're currently at? Like, they can they just walk back in after they yeah, no, that's a good point. Last year, program? I just don't know. That would work. Last year, he rushed the ball 312 times for 1,800 yards and 19 touchdowns and had 5.8 average yards per carry. Um, and like, you sit down with the coach and go, "Hey, listen, I love Buffalo, or I love." You know what I've done here, and what you guys have put me in a position to do. But I know that if I put my name in the transfer portal, I can achieve my dream of playing at the biggest college in the country. And if they don't call me, I'll, I'll come and I'll fight for you, and I appreciate it. But stand by me to see if this opportunity for me is something that you know you could do. I guess some coaches would be like, sure, and some would be like, no way. You know, I guess it'd probably go from from person to person on that. But you know, with everything in college football, it always seems like the the risk is on the player. Should the player commit to a program uh, and or look around and risk losing his spot? Should the player put his name in the transfer portal? You know, all the things that, you know, it's a tough situation. But I do think that if that person put his name in the transfer portal, he'd probably end up in a pretty good school regardless of whether it was Ohio State or not. And um, But you're right, it does create a very difficult situation because – he can't put his name in the portal knowing that Ohio State wants him. It's a risk. What about the other side of that if you're Ohio State? And, like, like if you take a sophomore, for instance, like if you take a sophomore, a guy who's going to be in that room for two or three years, and that impacts your recruiting down the line, like how much How much do you think about the long-range effects of bringing guys in via, via transfer in, in this theoretical world where guys had the one-time waiver? and what that might do to your numbers moving forward, the, the kind of image that might portray to potential high school athletes that see, like, well, if, why would I go here if when I'm two years into my career they're just going to go into the portal and see if they can find somebody better? Like, that's different to me than, like, getting recruited over. It's like free agency almost. Um, it's I think that would that would hit me a little harder if I were a player than, than bringing in a, a, a freshman who just happens to be really good, like going out and finding somebody in my same class because mm-hmm. they think that person's better than me. Ohio State just got the most high-profile quarterback transfer in the history of college football, probably, because how could you be any less high-profile or any more high-profile than Justin Fields? And then they turned around and signed two four-star quarterbacks in the same class directly after that happened. Yeah, like, but he's going like, to be gone. Nuts? They know he's going to be gone, though. No, I know, but that, to me, is just an illustration of how a quarterback can start at Ohio State. So, like, if you're saying, what is the... Um, and I, and I get that they know he's going to be gone, but if you're saying what does that do for the psychological effect of recruiting if players know that you have a tendency to take kids out of the portal, it's like, well, Justin Fields might be gone, but who's to say that 
when C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller are sophomores and competing for a starting position, that Ohio State won't get the next Justin Fields out of the portal. I mean, they've already shown a willingness with two guys that have paid their dues in the program, and Tate Martell and um, Matthew Baldwin, that they are going to still go, screw it, we're doing this. So why wouldn't they do it again? I, mean, um, I guess there's levels to it, too. Like, Justin Fields is the number one player in his recruiting class, and, like, this Jared Patterson guy, again, to use him as a stand-in for everybody, was a two-star prospect ranked in the thousands. You just go look that up, Dolby? I did. Yeah. Yeah, He's I don't know. Maryland. I just think that, like, the idea of... He's from Maryland? Mm. All right, sounds like a good story. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, but I think that, like, it goes back to the ruthless factor a little bit, too. Like, you go to Ohio State, and either you're the best or you get passed, and it doesn't matter what it looks like. And I think a lot of people, like, at least the theme of what I get from prospects covering Ohio State recruiting is that players just want to get on the roster and be given an opportunity to, to be the guy. And, like, if you're the best or you are a legit player who's going to go in the league, you're not going to get passed up because you're good. And if you do get passed up or they do go in the portal and get a guy like this, it's because you weren't good enough yet. And, like, I also think that in a situation like this, go get this uh, this upperclassman who's already done it, let him go a year or two, and then by the time he leaves, guys that we're talking about this year about not being ready will be ready to go. And the reason why they're looking at the portal or getting a guy like that, hypothetically, is because they are not where they need to be. So who are you to blame? You know? Yeah. That's the whole thing. And I, I, it's like that should be the reality in every position. Now, it's not Marcus Crowley's fault that he's been banged up and he's only going into a second year in the program, and it's not you know, Mayan Williams' fault that he's a true freshman, but given the circumstances of the team and where it needs to be in this specific year, you do what you got to do. And it's just like ruthless or not, you do what you got to do. I th- yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think I think in the end you have to do whatever, you know, you have to care about feelings and stuff like that and commitments you make to players. But at the end of the day, you have to do what, what's best for your program in the short term and, and, and the long term too. But I don't, I don't think taking a transfer if they go that route is going to be something like upends Ohio State's running back room. Um, I, yeah. just, I just wonder how much they, they take into consideration stuff like that. Um, I sometimes wonder, like, and we've had this discussion in the past, but, like, I wonder how much Nick Saban gives a crap about people's feelings. Yeah. He probably doesn't. He didn't care well, about Jalen Hurts' feelings. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. But. I'm not saying he doesn't care about his players off the field, but I'm saying when it comes to being the best and winning at the highest level, I don't think, I think it's all's fair in love, war, and playing at Alabama. Yeah, he yanked the starter half time of the national championship, so. And won. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that, to me, like I was hovering over my body when I saw that. Uh, and it's just like, you don't become a college football coach making, what is Ryan Day making? Give him the salary structure again, Bill. Uh, $5.4 million this year. Well, plus another million for a retirement plan. So 6.4 basically. To lose. You don't make that much money to lose. You, you make that much money to win. And, and, and like, as things are, are changing in the sport, Bill... It's just harder to be Ohio State in the in this landscape when you have all these options between, you know, recruiting signing periods and the early period and the late period and transfer um, portal with graduates and quarterback lawsuits against the NCAA for 
not letting them transfer and play immediately, and now maybe the immediate eligibility rule. The way that these teams are building their rosters nowadays is completely different than it was even three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, like, in terms of, like, what that means for recruiting, it might be weird at first, but eventually it's just going to be normal. Right. It's like we're getting closer and closer to that edge of free agency, and I know that's kind of the cliche thing, like, oh, we can't have free agency in college football, but it's like pretty soon you're going to be damn near close to having it. I mean, once they pass this rule, people are going to be going all over the place. And, like, if I were the starting running back at at uh, Buffalo and I could go be the starting running back at Alabama or Georgia because of circumstance, and, like, we've been covering this team combined, uh, you know, five or six years together, and I've been on the beat for ten years, there hasn't been one time where the Ohio State starting running back position is just open to a guy who can come in. So I think we have to treat this scenario as the exception to the rule, but when that exception presents itself, you pounce on the best possible ability. And I guarantee you if that if that rule changes, they're going to do something like that. I guarantee it. I think they will too. I think, well, if they know if they know for sure that Teague is not going to be able to play next year, they absolutely will. If they think that maybe he'll be back like in October, maybe they'll see if they can't get through September, which would include going to Oregon um, in the second week of the season. But I, if I had to guess, when right I saw now, you tweeted about Teague, uh-huh. I thought to myself, is this the worst person outside of Justin Fields who could have gotten injured on this team right now? Mm. Sean Wade would be pretty bad. Yeah, Sean Wade would be pretty bad. Um, because he's just your second best player. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably. Probably. It, it's like the, it's just the hey, position. It's not, it's not the, maybe the individual, but it's, it's the position. Yeah. yeah. Hey, just out of curiosity, because I, I saw this. Um, is Sean Wade just limited in the spring because that was the deal when he mm-hmm. came back? Because like, that was like when I was in Jacksonville uh, with him the night before he announced that he was coming back. He said that he spoke to the coaching staff and they were going to give his body a break in practice because he didn't need to you know, get all the reps and stuff because he was kind of like uh, the guy who could be in the NFL right now. Yeah. And I was wondering if that limited was because of that. That's the impression well, he that I got. Was banged up. Yeah, that's the impression okay. that I got. Um, he was hurt <clears throat> a little bit over the the latter part of the year last year, if people remember. Um, but I, I mean, it's probably partly like whatever was ailing him get that healed. But he's also, I mean, he's played a lot of football. They do this with a lot of guys, you know. You play a lot of football. There's spring's not really for you. Um, now he'll have to do some stuff working with Kerry Combs as he transitions to playing outside. But I think the limited nature of his spring is is mostly a nod to him being an old guy who who's played a lot and doesn't need spring as yeah. much as someone like, you know, Seven Banks or Tyreek Johnson might need it. Because, like, the 1,000-rep club's not new, but listing them on the status report is kind of new because there wasn't a status report. Yeah. Um, so now that Ohio State's without Teague for the rest of the spring and they have one scholarship running back and they might be moving um, – Demario McCall over like how do you how would you go about getting through the spring with the situation right now? I'm going to go through the spring without trying to get overly excited about Demario McCall again because every time I do that I get my you personally a bit. or the team. Uh, just like yeah, everybody, no, I think it's it's died down. It's died down, right? Um, but the Demario Demario mania. Was, I think people was a have thing accepted like two years ago, but now the door's back open, baby. They have one running back, and then tomorrow's going to go back in that room. He's not a running back, dude. Ryan Day says he is. Okay. 
Like I asked Ryan Day, here's, I asked Ryan Day on Monday again before we knew what was going on with Master Teague. Like, how do you get through this with only two healthy running backs? And what's the deal with moving Macar- Macario, Demario from receiver from running back back to receiver? And he said basically, like he said, Demario can still do that, meaning play running back. He said we're starting him out in the slot. We can always bring him back. He has that skill set. It's something that we've always tried to find that role for him where he can be a running back and also a matchup problem out of the slot for teams like that. And then he went on to say, like, it didn't happen last year because J.K. Dobbins and K.J. Hill were so good, uh, which I kind of buy. Uh, he just he's never had a home, and this doesn't guarantee that he's going to have one now. But it's an opportunity, I suppose, for, like, he's an older guy that I think would not be playing all that much otherwise in the spring for the same reasons we were kind of talking about with Sean Wade. Um, but now they have to play him because it's him and Steel Chambers and then, like, Xavier Johnson, who's a walk-on, and then I don't even know after that. So they need running backs just to practice. So DeMario's going to get a real chance to show that he can play running back at Division One at, at a meaningful kind of level. And maybe he can't. Like you said, maybe he's not a running back. Maybe he's not big enough. Um, but he's going to get a chance to show it. So it'll be interesting to see, at the very least, <clears throat> what he does with that opportunity. Maybe in the end it, will, it won't mean anything, and they'll feel compelled to go get somebody if, if T can't play. Um, but I'm excited to see, I don't know, Demario, I guess, kind of get one last shot here. It's, it's a more meaningful shot than I would have anticipated for him coming into spring. Okay. Can I say something? Go for it. I'm far more excited to see Steel Chambers. I think that's fair. Like, I know that's I crazy. That's not crazy. I like, think it's fair. He's, I mean, we know, I think there's Nobody a, talks about him? There's a large... I'm sure there's a large uh, contingent of Ohio State fans who think they know what Demario McCall is and don't feel the need to see more. Um, that's how I feel. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. And so if you're in that boat and you just want to see, like, hey, Steel Chambers, have at it. And I think, I actually think that he'll be the one getting the first team reps because you'll learn more putting him in those spots maybe than you would learn about Demario being in that spot. So I get that. I don't think you're off base. Well, here's the thing about Steel Chambers. He was the number 11 ranked athlete in the 2019 class. Top 230 player, four-star prospect out of Georgia. That kid was a monster at linebacker in high school. And, like, the idea was, at least in my mind, was they're going to bring this kid in. They're going to let him play running back for for the spring or the fall and maybe his first year, and then he's going to take that six foot one, 220-pound frame and just play linebacker like a badass the way Darren Lee did. I always thought that he would eventually be a linebacker. And I think part of the reason that he doesn't get spoken about at all um, in that running back conversation is because there seems to at least be a fan expectation that his move over to linebacker is inevitable. Um, And maybe it's not. Like, maybe he's a really good running back. He was in high school. They let him play it. Like, why is Crowley the only person that is in that class that is exciting to watch. Like, there's a chance that Steel Chambers might just, like, have uncovered an opportunity uh, to really be the starting runner. He could win the job because of this. Like, he literally could. And, you know, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll be a linebacker. Maybe he'll be the third-string running back. I don't know. But, like, we're not talking about, like, a three-star athlete that barely got a scholarship offer here. Like, I mean, he had an Alabama offer, an Auburn offer, a Clemson offer. I mean, this is a top-level athlete we're talking about. I was in the boat of he's going to be a linebacker um, before 
like 2020 running back recruiting went the way it went the way it did. Now they they needed him at running back before this. Now they absolutely need him at running back. It wasn't really about. I wasn't in that boat because I thought like he's just not good enough to play running back. It's just that you didn't really see the path for him to to be one. Although I suppose you can say the same thing about linebacker because that position's deep as hell too. Yeah, and there's a lot of older guys there this year. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm 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 uh, I'm totally open to see what what Steel Chambers can can be now. It's always hard in the spring because it's not the most physical of settings. I think they they try to to shy away from that as much as they can. Um, especially now in this world where they're late on running back. So I don't I don't know how much of a feel you'll get for any of the other guys carrying the ball. But it's an opportunity at the very least for him for him to show that like we should all along have been taking him more seriously in the conversation with Teague and Crowley. Because you're right. You know, Teague played a lot last year and, and ended up being the seventh leading rusher in the Big Ten. And he looked really good. But a lot of that came in late game situations um, against teams that that frankly weren't that good. So I think you can only take so much out of that. There, there probably wasn't as much of a gap between the three of those guys as, as we made it out to be anyway from the start. And it's not to say like they'll be fine because that's an easy thing to do with Ohio State. But maybe we should be giving Steel Chambers a, a little more credit for, for being the kind of athlete that he is. Yep, I agree completely. Um, so we've been we're about like 30 minutes into this podcast here, Bill, and I just... Uh, Forgot to do what we're supposed to do, which is <laughs> remind people what they're listening to. Um, four to six with A and B, the best Ohio State podcast on planet Earth, uh, with Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman. Please um, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. Most likely on Spotify or Apple. And if it is Apple, please give us a review. You can tell everybody I suck as long as it's five stars. Absolutely. Um, and of course, the number one goal um, for Bill and I is to um, encourage you to read our work on The Athletic, our writing. Um, I think that's what we do best. Are you a better writer or podcaster? <laughs> um, depends on the day, I think. <laughs> Maybe podcaster. You just, uh, you're, you're, you're so talented. You're, you're great at everything. No, I'm very average um, And I'm very good at everything. <laughs> so please sign up for The Athletic. Um, you can get forty percent off if you subscribe through this podcast link, www.theathletic.com slash four dash six. Forty percent off is a good deal. It's not just me and Bill. You get the entire athletic platform, which is up in Europe now, covering soccer. Every major sport, every major market, really good writers, really good content. And um, not to oversell it, but the Washington Post did write a story uh, that says sports writing's future could be banking on the athletic. So that was a good ad, and um, I'll hit it back to you, Bill. So, like, now that, you know, you're going into, like, the end of the first week of spring, um, the running back situation is obviously the, of most importance, but was there any prevailing theme or anything that you noticed in the um, practice such, um, that you watched on Monday that you're like, oh, hmm, like, what, what stood out to you the most? Uh, I don't know if there was a prevailing theme, but I – I'm trying to figure out like how all these pieces fit together on defense because there are so many guys in the secondary, there are so many guys in in the linebacker room, and there are a lot like at defensive end too. It's like I don't, you can't you can't play like 50 guys on defense, right? Uh, as much as I'll say they want to, um, but I, I think linebacker jumps to the the, the front of, of all that for me, and like Pete Werner on the first day of spring 
looks like he's listed as 242 and he looks like it and like he's playing inside linebacker after spending all of last year and that's Sam slash safety slash bullet roll, whatever you want to call it. And like, I don't know. I asked Ryan Day about that. He didn't say it was permanent, but, and Baron Browning is among those players that are limited. So maybe it was just for that, but like Dallas Gantz around to like, they, they, they have a lot of guys at linebacker that they shouldn't need to be shuffling pieces around like that because some guys hurt which leads me to believe that like they want Pete Werner to play there. So then like, what does that mean for everybody else in the linebacker room where they play um, the structure of the defense and whether or not they have somebody with that kind of skill set that Pete had last year playing? Like, I think if Pete moves inside, it's a, it's a pretty big shakeup that, that makes the defense look you know somewhat significantly different, not in terms of philosophy, but just in terms of, of personnel for next year. So if he does, then what does it look like to you? It's hard to say because I, I, I wish Baron Browning was out there because like he so Pete started at Will where Malik Harrison was last year and Tough Borland wasn't like where he's always been and then the Sam was Justin Hilliard. It's like and is, is Justin Hilliard like going to be that that dual linebacker safety guy for Ohio State's defense next year? I just like I like Justin Hilliard. I know he did it a little bit last year, but I just can't imagine that that's the direction they're going to go in. And, like, Court Williams, who was recruited for that role specifically, in my understanding, was playing just free safety, regular free safety, where Jordan Fuller was last year. And part of that is because I think Josh Proctor's hurt, and they're a little thin at that position, but it's like, we all thought when they talked about this stuff that, like, Ohio State's defense was on some level going to look like what Greg Madison was a part of at Michigan with that Viper role, and a guy who, like, who, who looks different. Like, Pete Werner didn't look the part, but he played the part. Um, whether or not they're going to have somebody like a Brendan White, actually, who who, who looks like a Khalid Hudson or Jabril Peppers, like both physically and what he can do on the field. And if Pete Werner is moving to inside linebacker, like, is there a guy on the roster who could even do that? Because Justin Hilliard doesn't look that part either. Um, and Court Williams might, but I just can't imagine they'd throw a freshman into that role starting right away because that's a pretty important role in the defense. So I, I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe Baron Browning comes bullet, back so. and he's healthy, and I'm like it's like a Baron Browning and Tough Borland, the inside linebackers, and Pete Werner back where he was last year. Like that would make more sense to me. But until we get to see Baron Browning out there, I just don't know what it's going to look like. Which is probably what's going to happen, right? It'd be my guess, yeah. Um, but it could also like <clears throat> Kavon Pope is is reminds me a little That's bit your of that guy. Kind of guy. Maybe, guy, maybe, maybe he's the guy. Like he wasn't the starter, but it was the first day of spring, and usually on the first day of spring, it's like if you're old, you're starting. Um, Maybe maybe it's him. Maybe it's like we heard about him so much last year in camp, and then like he never got on the field because Pete Werner took literally every meaningful snap at that position. Maybe this is a move to get Kevon Pope on the field eventually, and that'd be interesting. But I don't I don't know. It's just hard to it's hard to put all the pieces together. We're gonna I'm getting out of here in a minute to go talk with uh, tight ends and linebackers, and hopefully we can get a little more clarity on this around Washington because it's still it's a little blurry at the moment. How many touchdown receptions will the tight ends have this year? <laughs> well, it's spring. It's the time of year where they actually throw the ball to the tight end, and we all get excited about it. And then we get to the fall, and uh, the leading tight end receiver has 14 catches. So uh, they were throwing it to him on Monday. There were a couple. There were a couple nice passes down the seam from uh, from Justin Fields, one to Luke Farrell, one to Jeremy Ruckert. Kate Stover caught a couple passes. Like I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that move for him from defensive end to tight end. But he certainly looked comfortable playing tight end uh, on the first spring during the first spring practice on Monday. I'm still sad about that move. About Cade or about Cormonte Hamilton? Both. 
I'm super sad about Cormonte Hamilton. Although he looks, uh, he'd be an awfully big tight end. <laughs> Let's put it that way. If you were out he, there, did he get bigger? Yeah, he looks like a defensive lineman. Yeah, man, that's that's a crazy uh, situation for Ohio State. Man, I can't like of all the things that could have happened this week, losing Teague. I mean, it's just like no, we've already covered it, but it's just kind of an interesting thing to see a team that is so loaded kind of have. Um, some things to get over in terms of their transitions and, you know, injuries. And, you know, I guess even a team that's recruited like this is not immune to that sort of thing. So, Bill, um, I know you got to get over to Ohio State here pretty soon, but you did write 76 thoughts on 76 scholarship players on Ohio State's spring roster. Yeah. And I don't know, like, this is 4,500 words. How are your fingers feeling, bud? Uh, they're good. I, I, I spaced it out. I started it last week. Um I got probably three quarters of the way done, like by the weekend, and then I finished it. I wanted to wait until we got to the first spring practice because I didn't want to put it up on Monday, and then we go to practice, and then like thirty of the seventy-six things in there are inaccurate based off information we got from the first spring practice. So, um, yeah, I went up on Wednesday. It's uh, yeah, like you said, it's forty-four hundred words about every scholarship player on the roster, just sort of what's going on with them. Some guys, what I think of them, what's at stake. For them this spring and what could be coming down the line in 2020. So if you uh, if you want to take a deep dive into the roster right now in March, uh, that's a, a good opportunity to do it. Yeah, want me to tell you my favorite one? Yeah. <laughs> do you have a favorite one first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, my favorite one was uh, was Josh Myers. Okay, my favorite one was Jackson Smith the Jigba. Looks like an extreme version of Hill. A polished route runner who could grow to be inherently reliable with some more versatility within the offense. His ability to line up anywhere could put him at the front of the line freshman contributors at receiver. And it's like, I think that like it's like a good way of putting it. Extreme version of, of Hill. Yeah. Great hands. Maybe a little bit bigger, more rangy. Faster. Maybe a little faster. Yeah. Um, but also, it's like in one sentence you explained what he could be and also what that means for this year and I thought it was I thought it was awesome. I appreciate it. That's man. the type of thing that you get 76 of them. 76. Yeah, yeah I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pretend that they're all as insightful as that <laughs> because some guys uh just haven't done much and it's a little it's a little hard to have a have a read on them. But uh yeah, it was fun to do. I mean, if, if anything, it was a good exercise for me to like refamiliarize myself with the roster going in the spring. I was also a little disappointed that when you got to Tough Borland, the words JT Barrett didn't come across in that one at all. I said second three-time captain. JT Barrett's applied. Was that a heavy implication? Yeah, yeah. I feel bad Tough for the Borland, guy, man. senior, Colin, is the new JT Barrett. I feel bad for him. He, he shows up. He works hard. He has an important role in the team as a captain, and, like, everyone dogs on him. <laughs> Did you feel bad for JT? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for anybody who, who to me, seems a little underappreciated. Do you feel bad for me? No. I'm underappreciated. That's not true. Yeah, maybe underappreciated in our friendship is what I meant. <laughs> that might be true. Um, is there anything else you wanted to get into before you headed over there? Uh, no, we'll have, we'll have plenty of time to sort of dig into everything that's going on in spring, but I want to make sure I get over there to talk to uh, Kevin Wilson and Al Washington. Kevin Wilson is my favorite uh, coach to talk to. Yeah, he just keeps too. it real, man. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, certainly interesting 
while I'm out here um, working on some recruiting stuff, there will be a Ohio State recruiting story that comes out of my trip down here um, coming on The Athletic here in the next week or so. Um, you can put together who I'm talking to by my location in Charlotte. It was a pleasure, John, working with you in your space and not being remote. So thanks for opening up your office to me. And Bill, thanks so much for picking up the slack while I'm out of town. Um, thank you so much to you guys for listening to 4 to 6 with A and B. Um, we will see you next week. <laughs>